Take your Bibles this morning and turn, if you have them, to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We've made our way uh, to the end of, of chapter 2, and we'll see where the Lord takes us this morning. But we'll be in chapter 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. We have, uh, we continue a, a thought that we started at the very first of this book. In fact, the theme of the entire book of 2 Corinthians is encouraging words for discouraging times. The title for this morning is encouraging words for discouraging times. If you read chapter 2 verses 12 through 17, this is in a nutshell the theme of the entire book. Paul is discouraged. Paul is disheartened because of some uh, situations that happened in Corinth. There were some sins that were taking place. He was unable to go there. He changed some of his plans because he changed some of his plans. Some of the people in Corinth were accusing him of being a false prophet and teaching a false gospel and, and being dishonest. We've seen some of that over the last couple of weeks. And, and this morning there are two verses that discuss that. Then he goes to another theme. But look at chapter 2, verses 12 and following. The scripture says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened to me by the Lord. I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And through us diffuses the fragrance of His knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ. Among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Encouraging words for discouraging times. Paul was discouraged, but he had a hope. He had a hope, and the only hope that he had was his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that hope continued to carry him every day that he lived. John Maxwell says this from his, uh, his work, Think on These Things. He says, what does hope do for mankind? Hope shines brightest when the hour is darkest. Hope motivates when discouragement comes. Hope energizes when the body is tired. Hope sweetens while bitterness bites. It sings while all the melodies are gone. Hope believes when evidence is eliminated. Hope listens for answers when no one is talking. Hope climbs over obstacles when no one is helping. Hope endures hardship when no one is caring. Hope smiles confidently when no one is laughing. It reaches for answers when no one, ask, no one is asking. Hope presses for answers when no one is asking. It presses toward victory when no one is encouraging. Hope dares to give when no one is sharing. And hope brings the victory when no one is winning. Our hope that we have, according to what Paul says, that we will soon see, can be found in Jesus. Now look at these first two verses. And I want to see where you can show some of his worry and his discouragement. Verse 12 says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord. 
He said, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother. Titus had taken the letter to the church of Corinth, a letter that poured out Paul's love for them. And he was to go to Troas to meet Titus there to see what the church of Corinth had feelings towards Paul. Was there going to be repentance? Was there going to be uh, remorse? Was there going to be excitement? Or was there continuing to be this wall between the church of Corinth and Paul? So as he's sitting there and as he's waiting on Titus, you can imagine the communication. All you had was a courier carrying a letter and months later meeting at this place in Troas. We're going to meet back and let's talk about what's happening in Corinth. Well, Paul's an evangelist. So he begins to share the gospel. The Bible says in verse 12 that an open door is, has, has opened up and he begins to, to, to share the gospel and preach the gospel and things are happening, exciting things are happening in Troas. But the scripture says in verse 13, but I had no rest in my spirit because Titus wasn't here. Even while things were going good, Paul said, I've still got this heart that is worried. Where's Titus? What does the church feel about me? Even though things were going well, he was still struggling in his spirit. He said, taking my leave of them, he said, I had to go find out what's happening in Corinth. He is discouraged. In fact, the end of verse 13 picks up. If the, the, the next verse after 13 really is not 14 because he changes the subject. The next verse in this subject appears in chapter 7. When Titus comes back and there is repentance for the church of Corinth. But for chapter 2 verse 14 all the way through chapter 7. We find this, this verse after verse after verse of the hope that Paul has in Christ. So he's discouraged. But look at what he says in verse 14. Now, he says he's changing his thought. He said, now thanks be to God who always leads us. In triumph in Christ. Even though he says I'm worried. Even though distressed. Even though you can read back in chapter 1. Where he has, he has, there's been times where he did not know if he was going to make it. He says let me tell you where my hope is at. Let me tell you the encouraging word in a discouraging time. The first one is this. Is that in Christ we have a motivation. In Christ we have a motivation. The scripture says, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. This song of praise was born out of an assurance that Paul had because he trusted in the Lord. Even though his circumstances were not comfortable, his confidence was. Even though his situation was not the best his heart and his motivation was. He could not explain the detours. He could not explain the disappointments. But all he could explain was the confidence and the hope that God is in control of all things. If you have not learned one thing in our short time through 2 Corinthians, it's that God is in control of every aspect of your life. There may be disappointments and there may be discouragements, but it does not mean that God is not in control and He's not steering the ship of your life, pointing you straight to heaven's glory, and He's there every step of the way in control of every situation. Paul says, in the midst of all that, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Now he uses a phrase here that is not used many times. In fact, it's only used one other time in the New Testament. 
It's a very unique phrase. And anytime you see that in the Bible, your, your, your radar screen picks up and say, what in the world? Why didn't Paul just say he leads us in the hope of Christ? We understand what that is. But he uses the word triumph. It's an interesting word. It's a word that the church of Corinth would understand because it goes back to, uh, to Roman battle. When a Roman uh, commander-in-chief won a victory over an enemy on foreign soil, and there had to have been 5,000 of the enemy to lose their life, they would have a victory parade. They would have this parade that would go down the streets of Rome, and the commander-in-chief would ride in that parade. It was called a triumphal procession. And the Rome and the people around would celebrate because of what had taken place. This commander-in-chief won this victory on enemy soul, gained new territory for the, the emperor. Then the commander-in-chief was entitled to this Roman triumph. Listen, listen to this. The processional would include the commander riding in a golden chariot surrounded by his officers. The parade would also include the captive enemy soldiers. The Roman priest would also be in the, be in the parade. They would carry the burning incense to pay tribute to the victorious army. It was a special day in Rome when the citizens were treated to a full-scale Roman triumph. Paul uses a word that the people understood. The scripture says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Now, we're not the ones who are victorious. We are victorious because of who? Because of our commander-in-chief, which the Bible says is in Christ. Our commander-in-chief won a victory on foreign soul. Won a victory on a sin-stained world. Left heaven's glory, came and he died for us. Thank goodness 5,000 people did not have to die for Jesus to be victorious. But one person died, and because one person died... 3,000 people were saved at one time in Acts. 5,000 people were saved at one time. You were saved if you know the Lord. I was saved because I know the Lord when I was a young boy. He is victorious and we go across this life living not for victory but from victory following our commander in chief who is the Lord Jesus Christ. We are living in a triumphal procession because of our commander in chief, the Lord Jesus Christ. We've won the battle. There's bumps along the way. We may not understand it. But the scripture says, thanks be to God. He always leads us in triumph in Christ. But I love this, this text because it made me think of something else. Another triumphal procession that will soon take place. You know, at any moment, at any time, we believe the scripture teaches, I believe that we can go to heaven today. That Jesus Christ could come back and take his church home and we will be with the Lord forever and ever in a place called glory. But after a time of, of tribulation here on this earth, you read from Revelation after seven years of that, Jesus said, the scripture says in Revelation chapter 19, 11 and following, that there's another triumphal procession. It's the commander-in-chief who is Jesus riding on not a golden chariot but a white horse. On one side of the horse it's faithful and true. The other side is the word of God. And there's somebody that is following him. It's the armies of heaven which is the angels of glory. But it's also the redeemed church following him to come down to a triumphal procession. Not a battle but a victory. <clears throat> One that we all can follow because we know Jesus 
as our Lord and Savior. He'll come back to this earth full of sin. There are ten kings and all of their kingdoms in battle, the Antichrist and false prophet, all to bring battle to the Lord. But it is a bloodbath. Jesus Christ is victorious. He has always been victorious. And he will be on that day. He leads us in triumph in Christ. So when we think about encouraging words for discouraging times in Christ, we have a motivation. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. It was 1527, some 500 years ago, Martin Luther one of the great reformers of our history. This, listen to what he said. In 1527, April 22nd, on a dizzy spell, forced Martin Luther to stop preaching in the middle of his sermon. For ten years since publishing his 95 theses against the abuse of indulgences, Luther had been buffeted by political and theological storms. At times, his life had been in danger. Now he was battling other reformers over the meaning of the Lord's Supper and other basic doctrines of the faith. To Martin Luther, their errors were as great as those of Rome. Their very gospel was at stake. And Luther was deeply disturbed and very angry. He suffered severe depression. Then, a couple of months later, on July the 6th, as friends arrived for dinner... Luther felt an intense burning, buzzing in his left ear. He went to lie down. He suddenly called out, Give me some water or I will die. He became cold and was convinced he had seen his last night on earth. In a loud prayer, he surrendered himself to the will of God, saying, God, I will do whatever you want in my life. With the help of a doctor, Martin Luther partially regained his strength. But this depression and illness overcame him again in August and September and late December. Looking back on one of his bouts, he wrote his friend. He said, I've spent more than a week in death and hell. My entire body was in pain. And I still tremble. Completely abandoned by Christ, I labored against the storms of depression and blasphemy against God. But through the prayers of the saints, my friends, God began to have mercy on me and pulled my soul from the inferno below. During that time, he penned one of the greatest hymns ever written. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. Our help, helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Listen to the fourth verse. That world above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The Spirit and the gifts are ours through Him with who us sideth. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. 
Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. But look at how the Scripture goes on. And through us diffuses the very fragrance of His knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death. To the other aroma of life leading to life. Who is sufficient for these things? In Christ we have a motivation. That is because we are victorious. We are triumph in Christ. But number two, in Christ we have a mission. Because we are victorious, there's something that we must do. You have a mission in Christ. It's not just to celebrate. Hallelujah for that. But there's a more important, and that's what he says in the last part of verse 14. He says, and through us, through those who are victorious in Christ, he diffuses or he manifests, he makes known the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ. Among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Last Sunday night, I had the privilege to go to, to Boonville, Mississippi, to preach at an uh, associational discipleship rally. And I left here after church last week and went home and grabbed a bite to eat. And I hit the road and, and got, uh, I, I needed to stop um, and, and, and go to the restroom. I needed to stop and use the facility. So I got through Tupelo and, and I was a little bit early, uh, which. That's just normal. Um, and so I, I got through Tupelo and, and I found a place where I needed to stop. So I pulled into the little gas station there and, and I wanted to, to use the restroom facilities and I was going to get some, some gum or something like that to chew on for the rest of the way. And, and, and before I walked in the door, you know, have you seen these gas stations that there's not a door you pull, but you walk up close and it's, it's an automatic door and they automatically open up. And I knew it before I even walked in the place, what I was walking into. As I stopped there, and I had, you know, I had my shirt and tie on, nice clothes, ready to go preach. And, and, and as the doors opened up, it was as if just a, a, a breath of wind and the smell that was in that gas station hit me right in the face. And I could have stopped, but I kept on going. And I walked into that gas station, and I know they had must have dropped 10 to 15 fried chickens inside their grease because that's all you smelled in that gas station. Now, I was already caught. I couldn't walk out. So I go and I use the facility. Then I go and buy me some gum. And, and I'm thinking, man, I'm going to smell like chicken all the way through this church service, but that's just okay. So I, I went and paid for the things, and I'm walking out, and I get back in my truck, and my whole truck smells like that gas station, which was fried chicken. So driving all the way up, I'm thinking, man, this is just, I have, I have no cologne. I ain't got no nothing to, to, to fix this smell that has attached to my body. So I walk in the church service, and the whole time I know what I smell like. <laughs> And none of my friends never said a word. Some of the friends that were there, one of them was my best friend who's a pastor there, they didn't say a word either. And the only thing I can think of is this. You're at a Baptist associational meeting. What better smell than to have that of fried chicken on your, on your clothes? But there is something greater. 
Paul says, because we have this triumph in Christ, the Scripture says that through us He manifests the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ in you. We are the aroma of Christ. That there are places where you go and you do not even say a word, but you still are pouring out of your heart the aroma of the Lord Jesus Christ. We walk into a place and we are walking not as defeated and worrisome, but we walk into a place in victory, even though our world may be falling apart like Paul's was. He says we are triumphant in Christ and through us he, he diffuses the fragrance of His knowledge in every single place, every single place that God has for you. We don't know what's going to happen in your life this week. You don't know where you may be going. I don't know where I may be going. But I do know this, that every place you go to, you carry the fragrance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everywhere. And you don't know who God's going to put in your life. You don't know who God's going to, to put there for you. Not just so you can give them a good word, but so they can see that, 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 that aroma that is in your life of the Holy Spirit of God. Like walking into a gas station and the doors opening up. Walking into your life and those doors opening up and that Holy Spirit coming out. Saying, man, this guy's got something I want. This lady has something that I want. This aroma that she has of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's that mission that everywhere we go in our life, we carry around the, the fragrance of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul tells Timothy that we are a vessel. And we are a vessel of honor. And that some are a vessel of, of dishonor. And I pray, God, that we are on mission for Him. That we can share the love of Christ because we are victorious. Friend, let me tell you, if you are living in victory, you will want to tell people how you got the victory. It's that mission. He goes on to say in verse number 16, To some people, we are the aroma of death. Leading to death. How in the world is that? The gospel is a gospel of life or death. You will come across people who are not believers. And because of your aroma, what does that portray to them? If you don't repent of your sins and accept the free love of Jesus, you will die. And you will spend eternity in hell. That's the aroma of Christ leading some to death. It's not because you choose for them. It's the aroma that you are presenting. It's the mission of God that you are presenting that if they don't change, then they'll spend eternity in hell. But the Scripture also says, but you're also leading some life to life. You'll come in contact with someone who's a believer just like you and your mission is to portray the victory of Jesus, an encouraging word in a discouraging time. You're leading others to life. Paul says, we're not sufficient for any of these. Who is sufficient for these? We, in Christ, we have a mission. That aroma, that fragrance that we share every step of our day is to be in Christ. But then there's a third one. The scripture says in verse 17, For we are not as so many 
peddling the word of God. The word peddling is an interesting word. It, it's a word for dishonest gain. Like someone who is weighing something in Bible times and they, they tell a different weight. A dishonest scale. Paul says we're not, we're not standing in front of you being dishonest. Our word is true. Our word is faithful. In fact, number three, in Christ we have a message. And that message is the truth of the Word of God. We're not peddling the Word of God as so many are, as so many are doing. He says there's four things about this Word that he teaches. There's four things about this message that you have. Number one, it is of sincerity, which means it's an inward affection of the heart. You will never ever make a difference on the outside in somebody else's life until Christ has made a difference inside of you in your own life. In your own heart. He says of sincerity. Number two he says it's as from God. His message was from the Lord. It's not his message. But it's the message from God. Number three it's in the sight of God. The scripture says we speak in the sight of God. We speak before God. He did it humbly and with trembling. And with no thought of praise on his own. Every word you say believer. Every word you say. Is in the sight of God. That message that you have is an encouraging word through a discouraging time. And that aroma that you share is before God. The last part he says is it's in Christ. The last two words of verse 17. That is in union with Christ. His preaching flowed from his intercession with Christ. In Christ we have a message. So I don't know where you may be today in your life. I don't know where God may have you. But in Christ, you have a motivation. And that motivation is, is that God always leads you in triumph in Christ. Jesus has always been and always will be your commander in chief. He is victorious. He proved it at the cross. He'll prove it when He comes again. That is our motivation. That is our hope. Knowing He is in control of all things. Our mission is to spread the love and the victory that can be found through Jesus. That aroma, whether you say a word or not, it can be shared and it can be spread. Number three, in Christ we have a message. And that message is not for our gain or our gain dishonestly. But our message is in the sight of God. It is with sincerity. It is pure. And it is all about Jesus. It's in Christ. There's a group of missionaries who were in China in language school learning the language, learning Chinese language to be able to spread the gospel to those who were in China. In the first day of the class, the language instructor, as everybody came in and they sat down in their desk, the language instructor did not say a word, but walked up and down the rows of those soon-to-be missionaries, already missionaries, but they're learning the language, up and down those rows, not saying a word. The people in the class were looking at the teacher wondering what in the world is, what is this, what, what is she doing, what's going on? And as she made her way past by every single student, walked up in the front of the class and said, welcome class. Is there, was there anything odd that, that I did or that you see or something that you noticed differently that I did or did not do? 
And there was some silence because they didn't know what to say. And one little girl back in the back said, Well, I don't know if this is it or not, but when you walk by, that perfume you had on, I, I smelled it. And the class chuckled for a little bit, and the instructor said, That's exactly what I wanted you to notice. He said, long, or she said, long before you learned the language of Chinese, he said, you've got to know when you go out in those streets, and even though you may not know the language, you've got to know that you carry a fragrance and an aroma that people will see and that people will notice. I hear this a lot as a preacher, Brother John. I don't know how to share my faith. You know, I don't know, I don't know what to say. I don't know what questions to ask. And you know, all those things can be taught and there's training that can help all of that. But when you walk out those doors, friend, you are sharing the gospel. It's that character and that aroma that in the midst of times that are difficult, maybe your spirit is in a worrisome state like Paul was, but he stopped all of it and he says, now, now we are triumph in Christ because he always leads us there and that's you and that's our motivation our mission share the love our message is to God and to go out and to share what Christ has put inside of you father we love you today God I pray this morning God help us to make a difference in our world God our message of the gospel is leading some Death to death. God, we're not about results. We're about planting the seeds. And God, you take care of the rest. But God, some are leading life to life. And my prayer, Lord, if there's somebody that's here today, God, they've never trusted in you, Lord. They've never repented of their sins. May they know today that there's victory that can only be found in Jesus, not anywhere else except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And not just the cross, but in the resurrection, how you overcame death and the grave and sin. And God, I pray if there's somebody here, Lord, that's never trusted in you, Lord, today, right now, they would open up their hearts and say, Lord Jesus, I know today, God, I am a sinner. Your word teaches that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I know today, Lord, I am a sinner. And I believe you died for me, Lord. I repent. I turn from those sins. I confess them to you. And Lord, I want you to take control of my life today. Give me the victory that can only be found through you, through Jesus. Friend, I encourage you this morning, if that's what you need to do today, we're going to have an invitation, and I want you to come here in just a minute. I'll be down here in the front. Say, Brother John, I need to know what it means to be saved. Father, we pray, Lord, for other believers that are here this morning. Some, Lord, who, they are believers, but they need to learn how to once again walk in victory. That life around them may, that may be falling apart, but through you, there's thanks and there's praise because of Christ. Father, there may be others who need to make decisions. There may be some who need to come and join this church. Lord, that's what you've called them to do. Others who may need to come and just pray. May we hear from you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. All